You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. Hey guys, today's journey is going to take us down 81 through the Blue Ridge Mountains into the flats of Tennessee. We're going to be going down I-40 and traveling in to the heart of Arkansas in the town of Little Rock. And there, we're going to talk to a, a veterinarian in the sport dog world. And what a phenomenal asset this would be to have somebody in your back door or, or a connection that you would have with somebody that is into hunting dogs and sporting dogs and understood the the medical needs, the nutrition needs, and what it takes to keep a, 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 a dog in general at its top performance. So today we're going to be talking to um, a vet by the name of Jonathan Bradshaw, and he really focuses on hunting dogs and their health. Um, and he has two clinics that he runs. He's got uh, Bradshaw veterinarian services or clinic and that's in little rock and then he has south arkansas veterinarian hospital which is in our, our 
Arkadelphia. I hope I pronounced that right. And that's where he runs it with his wife. So, Jonathan, how are you today? I'm doing great. I am doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, we've had a little bit of the weather. The the clouds have come through and a couple showers. It's kept me off the water today. I know that. So, um, <laughs> But I'm doing well. And, and we are so excited to have you and discuss some of the topics that's going through the, the hunting world. Um, I don't know if, if you have the same things come up in, in your line. Jonathan, you run you run labs right now. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah, and you're a big uh, big duck hunter, and you've been featured in Greenhead. And I, I'm assuming that Greenhead for a magazine is referring to the Greenhead of a mallard duck. Is that right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's, All right. That's a, That's the that's the only duck we try to hunt out here in Arkansas. But we 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 deal with the other ones, you know. <laughs> oh, really? So you just prefer the mallards? <laughs> that's that's right. Wow. That's right. That's what we're going after. <laughs> well, learn something every day. So yeah, I mean, you've been featured in the magazine and. Like I said, you've you've opened a, a a clinic just for sporting dogs, and then you have another clinic for for the, the array of the other dogs that come in. And um, it's funny, you know, me coming from the police world too. My very first dog was a lab. Uh, I, had oh, wow. a, I had a yellow lab that um, his name was Otis, <laughs> like Otis. I, he reminded <laughs> me of the the Otis off of um, Andy Taylor, uh, <laughs> just a big goofy dog. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but man, he, he was such a good dog. Um, I wished I had him now and knew what I knew now because he was a great dog. Then he would have been a extraordinary dog now with the knowledge that I have, but Otis, you know, he carried me through a lot of years. Well, he, he actually lived till he was 16. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Before he passed, he was in service. We, I worked him up till he was 12 and that's when I was. I was told that I had to switch over to a Mally, a Malligator, and that's and ended up with that. Yeah. But yeah, so my dad actually we raised labs for a couple of years. Now we don't have, you know, we don't we don't duck hunt or anything. Well, they it's it's picked up. People um, they goose hunt now. I guess that's what you call it. Um, yeah. But we didn't have we didn't have the the ducks or anything. We just they were just good dogs, and we had chocolate right. labs and. Dad was not a fan of the yellow lab. Is there anything to that? <laughs> I don't know. It goes switches around from color to color to most people. You know, somebody, some people it's they don't they don't like yellow labs. Some people they don't like chocolate labs, and then some people just don't like black labs, and they're looking for anything but. But yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't think there's much to it, but yeah, I mean from a <laughs> from a color perspective, they definitely have their tendencies. I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, so we we he stayed with the black and the chocolates, and he actually, as the gears went by, he kind of went away from the chocolate labs, and we ended up with the, the last two labs we had were the the black labs. Now, yeah. what's the diff? There's two different labs, right? There's the old English lab, which is a little bit heavier and stockier. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's old English labs or British labs is what we kind of like colloquially colloquially refer to them as, and then there's just like American labs. So you've got you know, when you've when you're looking at looking at both of the different types, usually the American labs are the have a tendency to be the more energetic of the two. With with uh, I don't know, they they feel like they can handle a little bit more correctional pressure, and so you can kind of take things a little bit further when it comes to a training level to really really fine tune things. But but British labs have a tendency to be a little softer when it comes to 
correction and uh, training. So sometimes it kind of limits you a little bit on, on how far you can go with a British lab over, over an American lab. But golly, I see, I see an exchange, you know, pretty, pretty regularly amongst the groups, you know, so that's kind of, that's kind of the going thing. And boy, it seems like one group of, and I'm sure he probably experienced this in, in your uh, breed of dog, but it feels like one group of people tend to like one over the other and, and vice versa and have a lot of bad things to say about the other usually. But, yeah, usually when but, you get several people from different dog breeds, the only thing they can agree is what the other ones are doing wrong. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Same way. Same way. It, you know, you're in bird dogs, so... You know, over the last 10 years in our canine world, you know, we went from the pointy-eared dogs, your shepherds, your mallies, your duchies, and now because of, you know, kind of the way society has, you know, fostered us into this false persona, you know, we have went to a lot of, a lot of these agencies that I'm training now, they only want labs or pointers, and we have got five german short-haired pointers in our group now so almost half was so we had yeah five we got five half of our group almost half of our group are pointer pointers um, and you know i really like the 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 energy that the the pointers put out you know the ones that we have i mean they are they're workaholics they do a really good job um so yeah i seen that, that you had a pointer on there too so yeah yeah, yeah we, we we see those quite a bit as well just from an upland standpoint, yeah. You know, lots of guys, lots of guys heading out west. Uh, we don't have a lot of upland game here anymore, but uh, but everybody tends to go out west or up to North Dakota, South Dakota to hunt, hunt birds up there and out to New Mexico and some of those other places. So we we see quite a few of those as well. Yeah, well, like I said, they're like I said, society has changed what we do, and yeah. uh, most everybody's running everybody wants and they're so hard to get you know stateside well they're even hard to import anymore because the demand for the 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 pointers and the lab the retrievers are uh in the law enforcement field is just i mean it's it's overwhelming and the guy they're not producing enough quality right now the first couple of dogs that we had you know 10 years we we started out 10 yeah let's say 10 years ago we started out with our first pointer and rock i mean rock star rock star and the last several that I've tested in the last, you know, six to eight months, um, are not the quality that the first dogs that we got were. So mm-hmm. you can, you can see a difference in it, but yeah. Yeah. So good. I mean, yeah. So we have a, we have a lot of in common stuff there with the labs and, you know, you're hunting them and you're using their natural instinct for what they do. And I'm just filtering it into, to finding the stuff that we need to find. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about too, you know, about your background, you know, where you went to college, you know, how sure. I know that, I know that you went to you're a George Bulldog. Yeah, so, yeah, I definitely. Am. I grew up in uh, I grew up in in Searcy, Arkansas, uh, which is about an hour north of Little Rock, Arkansas. My, um, then we I kind of went to school there a little bit. We shifted around when I was younger. So I kind of came down to Little Rock, spent a few years in middle school in Little Rock, and then uh, ended up moving uh, moving kind of back up north to, to Mountain View, Arkansas, up in the mountains a little bit. And we just kind of bounced around a little bit with, with, my, with my family. And, uh, and we've always had – we've always been huge duck hunters, my dad and my brother, my brother more than 
more than any. He's 10 years older than me. And so you can imagine he was, he was definitely when he was 16. And when I was six, I just thought he was next thing to God walking around, <laughs> chasing around ducks and, and around there. And, uh, and so we always chased him around duck hunting. And we always, we always had labs that come along with us. Uh, when I was, I guess when I was 16, 17 and graduated high school, we moved to moved to Georgia to go to undergrad because I always, I just always knew I wanted to go to vet school. I always had a, I had a real passion for, for working on cattle. My grand, my grandpa had cattle. And, uh, it kind of was a, I don't know, it was just one of those fun things. You know, every kid wants to be a cowboy and everybody wants to be the boss of the cowboys, which kind of feels like it's a veterinarian a lot of times these days anyway. And so I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And then when I got there, you know, it's, I, you start to kind of branch out a little bit after learning some things and, and you branch out and you learn new things. And then you learn about that people are actually working on, on labs and, you know, doing kind of advanced repro stuff and advanced uh, surgical things on, on dogs that you just duck hunted with when you were a kid. And so I just kind of like cut that track. You've got a, got a pretty big attraction to that along with cattle work. And so when I, when I got out, I did like everybody, just looking for a job immediately. So I, I started working. My wife was still in vet school, and so I started working at a small animal vet clinic down in Conyers in, in East Atlanta. And so I saw some things there. And then, uh, and then when she graduated vet school, we wanted I wanted to move back to Arkansas so I could be back close to home, just because I I, don't know, I love Arkansas and everything about it, especially love to go duck hunting. <laughs> the closer I am to the water the more opportunities i get so we wanted to move back and so we were looking around it's kind of hard to find a veterinary clinic for sale you know it's just one of those things that just don't come up much and you're waiting on some you know some some older veterinarian to either retire or somebody looking to kind of hit it rich but we found a, a vet clinic in arkadelphia arkansas that was for sale from dr waymack he was looking to retire he's in his 70s when I bought this clinic, and so I thought that'd be a pretty good start. So we got started here, worked about, I guess me and my wife worked about probably five, six, seven years here, and then I was looking to branch out. I uh, bought a clinic in in Little Rock in kind of the same scenario, another veterinarian looking to retire, and I was looking to kind of get some clients pretty quick, and so I bought that. And Now we've slowly slowly changed it over and trying to shift the kind of the veterinary model there to where I cater more towards sporting dogs. So pretty much athletic dogs in general and, and, and working on, you know, more advanced reproductive kind of things. And I, you know, I can kind of act almost as a concierge when it comes to certain things, you know, like, so I try to kind of do a lot of research on, on, you know, each scenario that pops up. So if we've got an injured dog, like maybe I can't do the surgery. I'm not a, a true board certified orthopedic surgeon, but I know, you know, which ones in the, in the state or in the area can help them the best. And so, and, you know, so I kind of act in that capacity and tend to go to a lot of, as well as, as many events as I can be field trials or, or, or hunt tests for labs, you know, retrieving and retrieving sports. And so I tend to go to a lot of those, which take up a lot of the weekends. And so uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, we're, I'm working down in Arkadelphia when I can and working with Little Rock when I can and bouncing back and forth as clients need. And, uh, I don't know, just having a heck of a time. Yeah. I, and I know we had discussed it a little bit before in one of our conversations, you know, 
we have purchased three of our dogs, our canine, all, all three dogs that we purchased was Mally's, and we par- purchased them from Little Rock Canine yeah. Academy, and Tony Smith run that. Oh. Tony has passed away um, last oh. year. But, yeah, I mean, oh. we were right in your backyard um, without oh, even right. knowing it. And, <laughs> you know, I have to talk to the guys down there and tell them, you know, if they want a good vet for the, the sports side of it, oh. they should look you up. For oh, sure. I'd love to help. Absolutely. So Absolutely. how, when did you end up with your first retriever or your first dog that kind of sent you into, um, the duck hunting part of it? Well, we had a, I guess when I was, my dad didn't have labs up until I was about, I guess I was about seven or eight and we got a, we got a little chocolate, little stubby leg chocolate female named Molly, uh, She'd already, she'd already been trained because, I mean, we're not, my family, we are not dog trainers by any means, you know. I, I don't know. We've always had small businesses, which is why I tend to punish myself by having multiple things going on at once. But we've always had small businesses, so we've left that to the training professionals. But, uh, but we had a little, a little chocolate female named Molly. And Molly duck hunted with us for probably five years, and she ended up uh, – she ended up having an injury. Uh, I'd put her to sleep, but uh, after that, I got a, you know, I was a typical high schooler, and I thought I could go down to the, uh, to the, I believe it was the Saline County uh, Humane Society and pick up a dog that looked mm-hmm. like a lab mm-hmm. and teach them how to duck hunt. And I did that. I had Dixie for quite all the way up until, up until undergrad. And, and so we went through college with Dixie, and she she could duck down a little, but everybody knew when I brought Dixie, it was just for fun mostly. Right. And uh, but yeah, we and then I, I got really serious once I moved to Arkadelphia and met uh, a trainer here in town. His name is Jimmy Brown. He's on Steel Shot Kennels. He uh, he convinced me that I that I needed to to get another another duck dog again. And, uh, after after you know how you get when you have one dog that that passes you just get kind of kind of solid about it but yeah uh, ended up getting another puppy and then we we went like all out through the hrc world trying to trying to bounce our way up and and, and uh train and learn yeah and it's it's been it's been so much fun to be on that side of it and then being able to learn more and more uh you know and I, by by no means have I spent years and years in the in the in the sporting dog world, but uh, you know it's really expedited my learning, and I've gotten so much experience just being around the crew there in Little Rock, um, learning things. So that's pretty much how I started. Gotcha. So, so we got you on here for your expertise in the Absolutely. veterinarian side of it. So, the first thing that we wanna wanna go over is the thyroid issue. We have every hunting blog, every hunting dog site. You know, this seems to be the topic of conversation. Thyroid issues, thyroid issues, thyroid issues. So why don't you give us your expertise in what this actually means, if it is, if it isn't, and what your take is on it? Yeah, I guess so. So when I started you know, talking about it, it was only in vet school. Like this has never come up before then. And, you know, we had a, we had a really good professor in vet school that, that 
taught us all about thyroid disease and all the ways in which to diagnose hyperthyroidism in, in dogs. Um, it, it seemed relatively rare. Like it wasn't a big discussion amongst larger breed dogs, you know, it just wasn't a big topic, but we did talk about how to dial in on things. And so as I got out of vet school, there were lots of people, you know, hounds and labs and everybody else coming in saying that, that they had heard that they, their dog, you know, could potentially have thyroid disease. Everybody wants to test for thyroid disease. And so it's always taken me aback a bit because I usually test dogs in house and when I test dogs in house we've got like a we've got a blood work machine in house and it's usually used for like uh, you know kind of screening scenarios so if we've got if we've got a dog and we're taking a surgery we can run some quick blood work in house make sure all the basic things look good uh, that's what we use it for mostly but we've got like a thyroid test that we can run here in house uh, and it and it can be up and, you know, their thyroid levels can be up or down. It just depends, really. So when you get a diagnosis of hypothyroidism on my, on my machine, you know, I get immediately, I go, oh, okay, we may have something here. But we've also got scenarios where we've got dogs that are just sick and their thyroid levels are low. They call that euthyroid sick syndrome. So you can have dogs that are sick from something else. And have a low thyroid hormone and them not truly be hypothyroid. So let me ask you real quick um, while you're talking sure. about this. So when, when people are bringing these dogs into you that they're saying that has thyroid issues, what is their diagnosis or what symptoms are they seeing or saying they have that leads them to believe that they need to bring them to you and have them tested? What are they seeing? They're not performing like they used to, whichever, wherever that may be, you know, so say they're coon homes, right? So they're running dogs at night. They've been running for seven days and, you know, this dog just slowed down, you know, can't hunt all night. Because he's uh, tired. He needs a rest. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, they, these are the things that it, it usually happens like repeatedly for them. Like they're like, well, this is like the third, you know, the third, uh, the third time this has happened. And then I've heard a bunch of people tell me down at the feed store that I didn't test for thyroid disease. And I'm like, okay, we can definitely do that. Uh, you know, when I do it, it's, I, and I have to walk in there. They're like, no, I want you to do the in-house test. I'm like, okay, I'll do it in here. So I do it in here. It's low. It's like 0.6 or something like that, where you got like a reference range of like one to four. It's like 0.6. I'm like, hey, so thyroid hormone's low, you know, and they're like, oh, I never. I'm like, okay, well, hold up. Because that, that, that's just the beginning of this whole process. Usually what I end up having to do is pull blood, send that in the lab and have them test multiple aspects of thyroid hormone because there's different ways in which it attaches to things and binds to things. So they have to, you know, we're, we're looking to make sure that the thyroid's working correctly. So we've got a few different ways to do that. So we can't just go off of what we got in-house. And I think for a while there, there were a lot of veterinarians that were using the in-house test to be like, yep, that's what it is. And they're like, well, just what's it going to hurt if I give them thyroid meds? And I'm like, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt. <laughs> and they're like, let me just try. And for some reason they try, their dog gets better. They think it's that. So they keep them on that forever. And in all reality, it was never thyroid disease. It was something else that was, that was uh, you know, bringing the thyroid levels. That was basically just giving them a peace of mind for 
Nothing. Yeah, because really. every because yeah. every veterinarian's looking for an answer. Right? We're always looking for an answer. We do an exam. We don't see anything except for a tired, frail dog. Uh, you know, that's that's not that doesn't look really healthy. We see that, and we're like, well, you know, we'll look for parasites. We'll look for heart issues. We'll look for other things. We're like, well, let's just run some some blood work and scan everything, and we'll and and we'll not see anything on the other tests and other portion of the examination. We'll see a low thyroid hormone. And so we're like, well, I mean, that's gotta be it. And for a while that was that in-house test is what we tend to go to, especially out in the country. You know, we're just, we don't send a lot of stuff into the lab. So, I mean, and so they're like, well, what's it going to hurt? Let's start them. And for, you know, their dog does better. Now why it does better. I don't know if it was the pills that we gave or the situation, maybe the dog gets well or, actually recovers from hunting four or five nights in a row, you know, and, or they change foods along with it. So I don't know. I feel it's a little bit of a, I feel like it's a little bit of a label. I've, and I, I'm not by no means say that I uh, down anything that any other veterinarians do, but a lot of times if I've got a dog that's on thyroid medication for hypothyroidism and they, they've been treated by another vet, like I want to go back in and make sure that the situation hasn't changed. You know, so a lot of times, a lot of times I'll pull, you know, I'll, I'll pull blood and run like a little triple thyroid panel and send that into the big lab and have them test that and their thyroid levels are above where they ought to be. And so I'm like, well, you know, we probably ought to pull them off of that supplement. And then they start doing better, you know, for whatever reason, they, they're actually getting hyperthyroidism at times, so. So you had two, you said two things there, and, you know, I'm just kind of curious because yeah. I like to know. So when you said it has sure. a low thyroid reading and then there's a hyperthyroid, which it would be high, what's the difference right. and what what would you see in the dog with a low reading? Like the would it just be the tiredness and lethargic not performing? And what would you see with a, yeah. with a high thyroid or hyperthyroid? You know, thyroid hormone just... It, it runs the body. It really does, you know. So if you're, you know, if you're dealing with hyperthyroidism, typically these dogs are, are not gaining weight like they like they need to be, and they're essentially being overfed at that point, but their metabolism is just cranking at such a high rate. Uh, and so you've got that. That would and, be a uh, hyperthyroid. Hyperthyroidism. Okay. Yes. And, and usually they're showing, they're showing a lot of the same signs as well, like, if excuse me, if they're hyperthyroid, they're they're drinking a lot of water, peeing a lot, uh, just uh, aren't having you know they're just not they're just their body functions just aren't, aren't aren't what it ought to be. So you're looking for that, but usually it's really thin when they're hyperthyroid, and they tend to be overweight when they're hyperthyroid. That's just one of those tendencies that you see. But there's not a lot of hyperthyroidism in dogs. Like that's just one thing that just essentially doesn't exist. That's more of a cat thing. But when you're, but when you're medicating them, it's, you know, and I don't know if thyroid medication just gets dealed out so easily these days. Like I think a lot of people are, are medicated and then not checking back in to make sure that, Hey, we may be giving too much thyroid hormone. Um, and what does that do? Let's say appetite. that, let's say that I put my dog on thyroid medicine because the vet tells me to, and yeah. it levels back out, but I keep him on the medicine. Then what happens to the dog? What What's going to happen? You know, they just tend to lose weight and just not 
not perform as well. But usually that takes quite a while to get to that point, you know. So it's and or usually you're just giving them that unnecessarily, you know. And so it's always best to go back in, even if you get the pills. You know, it's always good to go back in for at least kind of get that those same three thyroid measurements checked every three months for at least like a year or so, just to make sure they were given enough or, or mainly just not given too much. And then to recheck every year thereafter, because sometimes it just gets to where they don't need it anymore. And that's happened more than more in more cases than I can count on my hands for sure. Yeah, I had a um, and now that we're talking about this. So I've I've had dogs my whole life and I've been I mean I've had a pile of dogs since the mid 90s and uh in 2003 2004 it was actually 2004 I had a, a Walker dog it was a Sackett bred it was he was directly off Sackett Junior and yeah. he had coonhound paralysis he ended up getting it I was up in Michigan hunt he got bit got him home anyway so he ended up with that so that really changed his his I mean, he, he couldn't hunt as long. His accuracy rate went to poo. And so I was letting a guy hunt him. Um, I let a guy take him and hunt him. And he called me one day and he said, Hey, he, um, your dog's got, he, he's got a thyroid issue. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. Well, the dog was a 70 pound dog. And when I got him back, he weighed 110 pounds. Oh, Feeding the same food, hadn't upped it, hadn't changed it. Um, of course, back then, you know, that was 2000, that was early 2004. I didn't know anything about it. Well, he ended up passing away. Um, I I kind of felt like for me, that was more of the roll off from the Coonhound paralysis. But I didn't know. And I was told by his vet, and I couldn't even tell you who the, who the vet is at this point, but um, his vet said that he had a thyroid issue and that's why he'd gained so much weight and was so big and, and whatever. So how, what do you think yeah. about that? Is that something that sounds, that would sound co- correct or maybe that was off a little bit? Well, I mean, he may have had a thyroid issue, but obviously that wasn't, you know, a thyroid issue in my mind, I, I think is tends to be, you know, an effect of something else too, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have quite the research to be able to say exactly how things interact in a sense, but he may have had that thyroid issue, but I imagine that wasn't his primary issue. You know? Right. And I felt the underlying it's, thing was a coonhound. Pr- that was my own, you know, take on it. Oh, it makes solid sense. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel the same way. Uh, but you know, it's good to, it's good to monitor thyroid. And basically when we get thyroid medication, we're just kind of like supplementing a little bit, you know, where the body can't, can't do it now for what reason the body can't do it oh there's there's quite a few reasons there you know from a thyroid standpoint so what would that be for a dog like what 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 would cause that so the thyroid itself can either have like a primary problem you know uh you could have a problem with the you know so you could you could have a problem with the thyroid itself or you could have a problem with how the body recognizes whether or not it's got thyroid hormone in the in the bloodstream. I'm trying to trying to make it make sense in that level, so you can have more of a more of a, a regulation kind of issue versus an actual organ that produces this, the thyroid hormone itself. So it's kind of it's pretty complicated when it comes down to it. So there's multiple little areas 
where disease could affect, you know, be it be it how the how the hormone itself is regulated or the actual thyroid organ itself that's going to produce what the the hormone. So it's hard to say, you know. That's what makes it so difficult, and that's why you know vets are liable to just throw thyroid or levothyroxine to replace what's needed versus being able to really dig in deep and look because a lot of this stuff is at a, it's on a microscopic level that we have a we have a pretty difficult time digging into you know mm-hmm. um, and so you know there's there's quite a bit of research going on it's ongoing really on on taking thyroid samples you know it could be a cancerous process it could be an overproduction process you know to, I mean, there's there's multiple things that that can affect how much thyroid hormone floats around in the bloodstream, uh, and so it's definitely not cut and dry. So it's very very complicated. Yeah, I mean that's why we're talking to you because so many people have different opinions on it, and like I'm completely illiterate when it comes to it. So is this a genetic issue? Is this a nutrition issue? Is this a housing? Is this something that we are causing, or is this something that's embodied in the dog that we have no control over? You know, I haven't seen much of a genetic component to this. You know, I really haven't. It's, it doesn't seem to be heritable when we've got dogs dealing with this scenario. Uh, you know, I can't say that for certain, you know, I don't, I can't say that I dig in super deep when it comes to thyroid, uh, thyroid research from that level. But, you know, I do know that there's, there's, I don't see anecdotally any sort of like heritable component to thyroid disease. Nutritionally, I think there could be a component. I mean, we're dealing with, with dog foods that, you know, I, we, we can't be 100% that, that this is everything that a dog needs, and we can't be 100% that, that dog food companies are, are doing, you know, the best thing. We're kind of looking at a lot of a lot of rations from a lot of, you know, a few years back and trying to make that make sense. It's, I don't know, a little dawning sometimes. But I don't – I feel like the majority of the thyroid disease that we see is due to other diseases, so you're saying if, if I'm make sure I'm tracking with you right, you're saying that there's probably another underlying issue that if you if I bring a dog to you and we start looking at the thyroid stuff in the back of your mind, you're probably saying there's going to be something else here, and I need to figure out what that is. Exactly. I got you. I understand that. That's where I'm at. That's that's where I'm always I'm always trying to find something else. Right. And how really how how often. Um, how often are you seeing any type of thyroid issue in your dogs? What's a percentage? Is it is it five percent, twenty five percent? Are you seeing these issues, or is it pretty much non-existent and we're making them? I don't see them. I really don't see a thyroid issue amongst, especially amongst coon dogs in my area. You know, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and labs especially, I, I rarely see that. And usually when I do, I feel like I can I can almost debunk it with something else. You know, usually there's a secondary underlying reason why they've got thyroid disease. Or they're being treated with, with thyroid medication and 
ultimately being over-treated with thyroid medications. I just don't see it that often. Right. I wish I could say I did because I want to be able to find something like that. But I, I think there's more to it, and I don't think the research is quite there yet. I, I think there's more to thyroid issues amongst amongst these dogs. I really right. do. But, so is there but research yeah, I, being it, done at this point? It is, but it's, it comes down to it like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of money in this, in this research. The research that's being done tends to be done at vet schools. And, uh, you know, I mean, it feels like their research goes and kind of directs itself more towards true companion animals at at the vet schools that I've been to, you know, and I've seen and I've talked about, you know, not saying that this doesn't, I don't have a connection to, to, to the dogs that we're dealing with, but I don't know. Right. It feels a little, it feels like the research just didn't be done, um, and uh, everybody's just supplementing that thyroid hormone and moving on. And a companion animal is a whole lot different than our sporting dogs and our working dogs. I mean, that's two no different doubt. ball games. No yeah. doubt, they're being they're being fed differently, and their their exercise levels are completely different. I mean, we're looking at like just completely different, you know, kind of like they're they they're just a, in a completely different wheelhouse right is there anything you want to add on the thyroid issue is there something that like for us as as houndsmen or dog you know sporting yeah. dog owners there's stuff that that we can do um anything that you would add on that yeah so i mean if you you know i'd say if you take your dog to the vet most vets are going to do this or know this but it's always good to just you know it's good for us to know that our money's being well spent when we find on a screening test at the vet clinic that our dogs got a low thyroid level that we take a, you know, another hundred bucks and say, okay, let's, let's now let's, let's draw another sample. Let's send it into a, a bigger lab that can run more fine tuned tests on the thyroid, which in house is usually like a total T4. Uh, I like that test, but I also like to run like a, thyroid stimulating hormone test so to see how the regulations going and then also uh, a free uh, a free test so like r- running multiple tests on on thyroid levels after you've gotten that diagnosis don't feel like you're the vet's just trying to run the bill up go with it and and, and do it and make sure that we've got a thyroid disease because you could be sitting there giving thyroid medication when that's not the true issue and the issue is something else. And it's just, you're just seeing a low thyroid level because they're sick. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in the, in the long-term things, I mean, I pay a hundred dollars up front for blood work or I'm going to pay hundreds of dollars for the medication over the period of that dog's life. Oh yeah. I think there's a lot of medication being given unnecessarily. And, uh, and I, I don't think it's doing any good. Yeah. So since you're in the, 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 the HRC, world and you're running sport dogs let's talk about a little bit about nutrition um yeah. I, I know you and you and i touched on a little bit and i think we kind of are on the same page and you know what's it take to keep your keep those dogs that are swimming and you know retrieving and i mean we know i mean even as humans that when you're in the water swimming you're burning double calories you, you know you're exhausting oh, okay. a lot more energy than being on dry land so what are, no what are you guys running and what are you doing? You know, what do you, what, you know, you don't have to say what you're feeding, but what protein mixes, um, is there anything supplement wise? What are you guys doing to keep your dogs at optimal performance? 
Yeah, so I mean, right now we're trying to feed like a, a like a 30, 30, 20 variety. That tends to be the go-to in, in our world with our like heavily trained retrievers per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to go with that. Uh, sometimes we'll back down a good bit, especially, I don't know, there's been some, some, some like kind of lower, like a 26, 16 kind of deal or We'll go that route if during the summertime when they're not being trained quite as much. Uh, Supplement-wise, we don't do a lot of supplements, I'd say. Uh, you know, there's some there's some things that I've learned from, from other veterinarians in the nutritional field about supplement-wise, like hydration-wise, mm-hmm. training in the heat kind of stuff that, that we've done a little bit, kind of done a little bit of glycerol. Yes, uh, yeah you know those sorts of things and like just i don't know like a little bit of energy boosts like prior to running and things like that on these longer longer sessions where you've got three four five days going and they need a little bit of a boost you feel like they're getting tired they're a little less responsive to handling and things you know they're just flat out getting tired we'll go that route uh most of the 30 20 varieties tend to have enough calories in it to keep their weight up and to keep their muscle uh muscle levels where we need them to be so i mean usually that's what we're doing here lately yeah so and, and that brings me to my next kind of shock and awe question because i know i, I responded on a um i think it was on coonhound conversations here a while back uh, somebody had posted that you know feeding your dog the high protein the thirty twenty um was basically a killer that it was burning their kidneys up and it was too hot for them and this and that and I run, uh, I won't tell the feed that I'm running, but I run 30-20 for my police dogs. Now, most all of our our group are running 30-20. Uh, my hounds, I'm actually running 30-25 or 32-32. Um, I have a 17-year-old Walker Mix female who lays around the house at this point, but she has been fed an array of food over her lifetime, but for the last... 10 years of her life maybe even 12 um, I've been feeding her 30-20 to this day she eats 30-20 I haven't backed her down <laughs> and and I mean she's as health I mean she's as healthy as a 17 year old dog can be um, yeah. you know she's losing her hearing a little bit and you know her back end her joints and stuff and I want to talk to you about joint issues here in a little bit but her joints and stuff are, are definitely some arthritis in them uh, but other than that, I mean, she's as healthy as a seventeen-year-old. So, what's your what's your take yeah. on feeding the higher protein, the higher fat content, and yeah, just what do you think about it? I've seen a lot of older dogs being fed thirty twenty. I don't think it ever causes any issues. I again think there's other things going on that causes kidney disease uh, that that we're not taking into consideration. Uh, you know, there. I don't know. A lot of these dogs are exposed to a lot of environmental things and the potential for a lot of environmental toxins. So I think that plays a role in things as well. Like when they're dealing with dogs with kidney disease, I definitely don't go, oh, what have you been feeding? Oh, you've been feeding 30-20? Oh, you've burned their kidneys up? Like that just, they're able to, they're able to deal with those levels of protein in their diet, no doubt. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really like claim to, to say that any of that is uh, causing these issues. But, uh, yeah, I've never, know. I've never believed it myself, and I, I'm, and I'm no vet by no means, um, 
but I, f- I have always felt like there was something else there. Uh, kind of sure. what you're saying about the thyroid issue, you know. I, you know, if, if yeah. a dog's got bad kidneys, it's probably was there already, um, and it's just coming up now. And yeah, you know, if you want optimal optimal performance out of your dogs, I, and I, I say this all the time, and I say it with the group that I hunt with, and I say it with my canine guys. You get in what you you put, you get out what you put in. No doubt. You know, if you put in trash, you're getting trash out. You know, your dogs aren't going to be able to run as long and as hard. You know, that high protein, you know, it's it's helping their joints. You know, it's keeping their 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 muscles where they need to be. They're, it's providing the protein for them um, to build muscle and to exercise them. I mean, I've always felt that way. Um, I I don't buy into some of the the stuff that people say. And I know that everybody's different, like you said. Every dog's every dog's different, and so on and so forth. But I have never been one that that has bought into that um, saying or that myth. I, I guess we could call it a yeah. myth that you know the higher protein burns your dogs up. I just I don't believe it. And I've I've done my dogs this way for years, and I've never had any trouble. Knock on wood. I may have a dog that pops up tomorrow that ends up having some other issue that it comes out, but I always believe you, what you, what you put in is what you get out of it. I don't know. And some of these things, I mean, and, and God bless them, you know, I mean, some of these things, you know, you've got a situation where your dog has, is, is in kidney failure and you're looking for some reason. And, you know, you know, I feel like that happens a lot. You're trying to find, well, why did, why did, there's no reason my dog should go into kidney failure. I don't know of anything. The only thing I do know of is you've been feeding that high protein dog food. So yeah. I think that could potentially be, I mean, I just don't think it's it. You know, I think, you know, if, if they have a compromised kidney to begin with and then you start to feed them 30, 20, yeah, that, I mean, that's a problem. You know, I mean, I'm not, if a dog's in kidney, in kidney failure per se, we're definitely not going to feed that, but I, I just don't think it's it's the root cause. Right, right. Well, I, like I said, I'm on your. I, I'm, you know, I, I feel exactly the way you do. I feel like that that's that's not it. And you know, we're I'm I'm within 20 minutes of Virginia Tech, which is a really good uh, veterinarian school, and they do a lot of research. And you know, we take uh, we take our police dogs there um, in the emergency situation. Some of our local guys take their dogs there to be. Um, do their checkups and get their shots and we have discussed that with the doc over there several times and she is adamant that it has nothing to do with it it has nothing to do with it so yeah we're on the same page so something else we're looking for a reason yeah (laughs) yeah 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 i I mean i agree yep and sometimes we don't look hard enough we just find a scapegoat and that's what we go with like the thyroid issue and the you know the kidneys being burned up so i'm i'm with you so on your on your labs and your bird dogs in general retrievers, what about joint issues? I know that um, when I run my dogs hard, that a lot of times, especially before I get them in really good shape, their their joints will swell up, and most of the time it's in their front joints. Um, yeah. And I know if you know these the guys that are hunting hard, especially your big game hunters that are traveling a lot of ground, and you're getting in and out of the rocks and the timber cuts and stuff. Uh, I didn't see it as much in my coon hounds or I don't see it as much as my coon hounds, but w- what's your take on the joint issues and, you know, how, how do you guys deal with it on the retrieving side and what are some things that maybe we can do 
um, to help our dogs not have those issues. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, there's always a debate, too, like, you know, a lot of guys are starting joint supplements fairly early, maybe even before they feel like their dog's dealing with any sort of joint pain. Uh, it's, there's a, you know, a 50% over here and 50% over there comes to that. Like, do we start joint supplements early? Uh, I really don't think it's a problem, you know. I, I tend to go ahead and start joint supplements. If I feel like maybe their confirmation's a little off or their joints are taking a lot of abuse, you know. So, in, especially in, in, I don't know, around here in rice fields when you've got a dog that's, that's, that's a guide dog going out retrieving, you know, 20 or 30 ducks a day in a rice field, maybe 100-yard retrieves. There's a lot of, like, sticky mud a lot of nasty situations where they're putting a lot of pressure on their joints. Those are the dogs that we see the most issues with, um, mainly like elbow issues is where we're seeing stuff at. That's a lab specific kind of deal. Uh, right. And a lot of people are going back saying that there's a, a, a heritable component to it, which <laughs> that's another topic. But, uh, um, you know, what I'm doing, I'm starting joint supplements fairly early. I don't see an issue starting them starting them you know when they hit that when they hit adulthood you know that two or three year mark like go ahead and start that in i i usually use like uh cosequin or dosequin which has got glucosamine msn and all those sorts of good compounds that the joints need uh, i'm doing that quite a bit uh i've kind of started switching because i've seen some anecdotal evidence there's a new product out called regensa and it's kind of a different it's a different form of glucosamine, like organic chemistry-wise. Uh, and where some dogs, especially dogs that have had joint issues, they're like showing signs of lameness and looking looking like they hurt. We switch from like a regular joint supplement to this newer form of glucosamine. And, uh, man, they have like really gotten a ton better. So that's been, that's been pretty exciting. They've done some like and there we go again, like there's not a lot of research out there. Most of it has to be like anecdotal, but they've done a lot of like rat research in some of these research places with joints and looking microscopically at joints with certain scenarios. And they found that that particular, that particular type of glucosamine has been, been better. So I definitely add that in. Uh, I'm doing joint supplements pretty early. I'm doing like fish oil, like mm -hmm. fish oil capsules, yep. omega-3 fatty acids, doing those yep. pretty much every day. So like like 3,000 uh, milligrams of fish oil, you know, just just once a day in their food and no, trying just, to keep them yeah. going. From that, uh, so you're just yeah. dropping the capsule in the food? Yep, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I know I go to um, uh, Petco kind of, they, they sponsor, they help us um, as far as yeah. in, the, in the police world. And they have the bottles of the, um, the fish oil that we can just squirt. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I'll go get me a, a bottle of that and squirt it in my in my food, and um, I see it in the coat more than the joints because I don't I don't see the joint physically. You know, I can't see inside yeah. what it's doing. But man, it will it'll shine those coats up really quick. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like human research with with omega threes and joint joint supplements, and they use it a lot in in human orthopedics for for joint issues. It tends to tends to help a lot with people so i can't help to say that it's i can't yeah. it, it can't hurt yeah right for, so for when when you're given these um supplements for the joint are you doing this only when and i mean like our seasons you know they come and go like my dogs are pretty much out of season right now they run around the yard 
we may take a run here in the evenings here and there, but that's it. So would I yeah. want to do this year round with them or when, or, or would I want to start a month or so before season come in and do it? What would you be a recommendation there? You know, I mean, I think, I think they're able to get rid of any excess fatty acids. So, I mean, in my book, I would want to do them year round, irregardless, Run them year you know? Round. So if you're, if you're, it definitely it never hurts you know they're able to excrete and get rid of any excess and it's not too terribly expensive and you know we're, if we're looking out for joint health it's definitely something that the body needs plenty of and i don't know with dog foods we can't guarantee that they're getting everything they need there from in that regard and most dog food people will say that we can but i don't know i've, I've seen how dog food's made and, you know some things slide to the left or slide to the right so i want to make sure that every you know, my dog's getting what it needs. Uh, and so I tend to, I tend to give that, but I see, see quite a few dogs with, with elbow issues. And so I'm always looking out to prevent that. And I just really, really watch for that. So I, I tend to add a lot, yeah. add a lot of fatty acid in the diet just to kind of help with their joints for that regard. But it's tough to say in, 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 you know, if you've got, you know, some dogs like owls, like, hounds some some lion hound kind of dogs out there that are in that rough terrain like who i know i would have them on fatty acid supplement like every day i imagine they they try to anyway but they are dealing with some some pretty intense climbing i know i spent some time out there climbing those mountains and uh well my joints hurt too so the the omega-3 fatty acid are you buying the human one or are you buying them specifically for the dog or are they both the same i'm buying that I feel they're the same. Yep. Um, I can I go to Walmart and pick so, up a bottle of the 500 and we're good. Yep. That's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, I, and that is pretty that's cheap. I think I you can get a bottle like that for less than 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. Easy. So Easy. Yeah, that's that's what I would do. That's what I've been doing. Right. And the sprains, and I guess we talked about joints, you know, my dogs, their joints will swell up and they'll have a little heat to them, and we know that's a sprain. Um is there anything we can do for those? Is there anything we can, you know, do to monitor that or just a couple days rest, days off? What, what do you think on that? You know, if you can, if you can handle it, the more, the more time off from the, from the extreme exercise, the better, you know, and the more it's, it's always tough to say, you know, cause I'm always trying to keep them, you know, we're always got a scenario where they got to go back to work or we got to go hunting again, or we feel like we do, you know, but if you have the opportunity to take them off for four to six weeks of anything like, you know, intense, that would be the best thing to do, uh, with, with like limited exercise. Uh, I have a tendency just to do anti-inflammatories and rest. I don't tend to do ice or heat in any, any scenario. Now I just tend to do as much rest as I can, as I can conjure up anyway. Yeah, I, I have, a lot of times that's the ability to do that's kind of limited. So we just try to do as much as we can. I have an, I had an old timer that I used to hunt with who was, I mean, he talked about a guy could raise pups and train pups. I mean, he, he was very, very good at it. Um, he would always, he would only hunt about three days a week and then he'd put his dogs up to rest. And every day that nice. he got his dogs out, he was catching game. And by the end yeah. of the season, most of the other guys' dogs are run down. You know, they're done. Yeah. They can't, you know, they can run game, but they're, the catching part is starting to fade away because they're just physically drained. And he never had that problem. And 
a lot of the younger guys never understood why he didn't hunt harder. And no, he was yeah. hunting smarter is what he was doing. And no doubt. he was giving his dogs plenty of rest. I mean, he'd hunt three or four days. Sometimes he'd hunt four days a week, but he was always giving his dogs time to re- recover. And I think sometimes we push our dogs so hard that that recovery time takes longer and longer because we continue to push them and push them and push them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It can be, it can be a problem. I, I feel like I see it every other day, you know, where we're trying to, trying to keep, trying to continue to go and the dog wants to go. That's the whole deal. Like, they're you know, they, go. they, yeah. you turn they're going to go. Yeah. But the, you, I mean, you, you got to physically just be like, Nope, not today. Yeah. Not today. I mean, I've seen some, some of the guys that I hunt with that, I, I shake my head when they drop a tailgate and they turn them yeah. loose and they literally, I'm like, there's no way that dog can go. And they're like, yeah, he's ready to go. He's ready to go. And you turn them loose and 200 yards, they're laying down and they got to walk in there and get them. And then they get aggravated because yeah. they had to go get their dog. And I'm like, man, like that dog is spent. Like right. he had, he, he made a 20 mile race yesterday and he made a 17 mile race the day before. And, you put him yeah. on two different bears three days ago. I was like, you know, what do you expect? But, yeah, I mean, you you got to give them some downtime and give them some time to recoup. I mean, it's just like us. You know, the older in age I get, the more downtime I need, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, even me, I mean, nobody really understands why I have multiple retrievers. There's really no need for me to have, but there is. You know, I'm not going to take the same dog, and I hunt a lot. So there's, I'm not going to take the same dog every day. I just... That's just, I mean, if, if I had to swim across a hundred yards over there and back and do that, even just six times, I'm done. You know, I need a little rest. I can't handle that. You know, you got to swap them out and be prepared. Yeah. And I've, I have done that as I've gotten older and a little bit smarter. I'm not going to say I'm tipping the iceberg yet, but you know, I've got, I've got enough dogs that. You know, I can lay two or three up today and take two or three tomorrow, and I can switch them back yeah. and forth. And I tend to do that a lot more than I used to. I thought that if I had eight dogs here at the house and in the kennel, I had to have eight dogs with me. And I realize the importance of of not doing that now. And, right. you know, I've come to the point in my life, too, where I love to catch game. I love to watch the dogs work. But I also know that, if I don't catch if I don't catch a bear today or a coon tonight, it's not the end of the world. I got tomorrow. Right. So exactly. I, I think a lot of that a lot of that comes with you know just time and mentally mentally changing your thought process and where where you're at and where you've come from. So, well, Jonathan, I sure do appreciate you being on here. And I, I mean, going over the thyroid issue. I mean, it's like I said, it's a hot topic. Uh, I've, you know, I've talked to, to the, my vet here and he has the same exact outlook on what you just told us is that a lot yeah. of times it is not, and that's the easy way out. So we hand them some medication and next thing you know, they're all better. Um, and then they, I don't, I don't know if people follow up or not. Well, like you said, the vets are always wanting to do follow-ups. And I think a lot of times because of the money issue, you know, we tend we have a tendency not to do that because you know I'm not sure. going to pay another hundred and fifty dollars. Um, sure. You know, and I know some people's probably not in that that um, position to be able to do that. But um, yeah. yeah, so I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I I mean, it was a, it was a pleasure to get to talk to you, and hopefully, if we have some other uh, 
medical issues that come up with with the canine or the dog the hounds and sport dogs that you know we can give you a call and get you back on here and get your opinion and take on things and hopefully point us in the right direction absolutely yeah no I'm, i really appreciate being on all right well we end every podcast with a with a saying and um dr bradshaw i will tell you i hope you find a way hold on i got a big announcement to make before you get out of here if you haven't checked out the dakota 283 g3 medium kennel yet that can suit every need that you have for hauling your hounds safely to and from your next hunting adventure and i'm going to tell you how you can enter to win a dakota 283 g3 medium kennel so again we're partnering with go wild so you will need to go to go wild set up an account and then log your time as listening to the houndsman xp podcast go wild is going to take all of that data and give it to us and we're going to draw for a dakota 283 on july 1st so let me break it down for you go to go wild register for an account post the time that you spend listening to the houndsman xp podcast every time you post you are going to get an entry into this drawing. The Dakota 283 is going to ship directly from Go Wild right to your doorstep, no cost to you. All you got to do is go to Go Wild, set up an account, start logging your time, listening to Houndsman XP podcast, and every time you do, you are going to get an entry for this. Dakota 283 G3 Medium Kennel. It's easy. Let's go wild.